0: Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston.
1: The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. Sugar is here, the both of us, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Cheryl Strade.
0: I'm Steve Almond. This is Dear Sugar Radio. Share some little sweet days with me.
1: I check my
0: belly every day Oh in the sugar you send my way Hi Cheryl Hi Steve How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Here we are talking in my hometown. I often say on the credits, Portland, Oregon, my hometown. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about home today. Mm
0: -hmm. We get
1: so many unexpected letters. I I say unexpected because I usually think of our show as being one where we discuss, you know, these psychological issues and family dysfunctions. But we get a lot of letters from people who say, should I live here or there, or I want to live here and he wants to live there, or should I go off and do this, or yes. is that you know? People th-
0: send us uh, sometimes Zillow or Redfin listings, and we're, <laughs> we're like, apparently they want us to sell or buy a home with them. So yeah, it's location, crazy what's
1: location, location. That's it. That's what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, it's not a dilemma in my life. I, I finished my my hike on the Pacific Crest Trail. Some of you might have heard that I did that. That's Um, right. You did hike the Pacific (laughs) Coast Trail, right? Crest Trail. Not yep. coast.
0: It's not coast.
1: It's a crest trail. I knew okay? that. Okay. And I finished that hike in 1995. I didn't know where I was going to live all through the hike. By I the like, way,
0: for those of you who haven't read the book, the, the hike begins in 1981. So it's a 14-year <laughs> hike, but go ahead.
1: Yeah. No. So I all through the hike, I didn't know where I was going to end up. I really was looking for a home. Yes. I had left Minnesota where I'd grown up, and I really fa- had this deep sense of like I needed to find my place in the world. Mm-hmm. And I came to Portland, Oregon, thinking it might just for a few months. I was out of money and got a job waiting tables and then met Brian, who I married four years later. And Portland became home. And and it really feels like home in this deep way. Mm -hmm. I can say with pretty great confidence that this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Now, I'm also a world traveler and and I can see myself living you know, in France for a few months or here or there for, you know, periods of time. I'm not saying I'll never leave. Mm-hmm. But in terms of home base, Portland very clearly feels like that to me. And it and I feel it in a kind of uh, in a physical way, like it actually feels like I'm rooted here. Yeah. What about you?
0: Well, as you were talking about that, when I come to Portland, I have a completely different sort of experience, which is actually the experience we're going to talk about today on Dear Sugar Radio, which is that kind of what-if feeling, that not I have roots down, but what if I planted my seed here? Mm -hmm. What would it be like? Which to me, I think, is symptomatic of how a lot of the essentially nomadic Americans feel. Where is my home? Where does the place that I set down roots, of course... Even 30 years ago, and certainly 130 years ago, this isn't even a conversation. You grow up in, you're rooted in community, in a family life, an extended family, and it's usually in one place. Now we are all kind of whizzing around the country and sometimes even around the globe. But feeling that ancient, I think, inborn species need of where is my home. And I feel that powerfully. And I even feel it in my body. Hmm. The problem that I have now, Aaron and I do not know where we should be. Now we have all these kids. We think about the West Coast all the time. Right. Well, you we grew up there? on the West Coast. Right. I grew up here. I, we love Portland. We have friends here. We, we we love this as a town. It would be closer and you guys
1: could live in my basement. Correct. You know that, there's a ping pong table down there. I
0: know. That actually might be eventually be our freestanding dwelling for all five of us <laughs> under your ping pong table. But we have good options is my point. And I think a lot of people actually, and this is why these letters show up on in our inbox, are struggling with this basic question of where is my homeland? Mm-hmm. Where should I be? So that's what we're going to try to take up today for the people who don't have that secure, firm sense and who are still essentially wandering in exile from their appointed destiny. Me, we could say
1: yeah and right away when we began thinking about this topic my mind went to Pam Houston who's Pam a
0: Houston.
1: dear friend of mine and yeah. a friend of yours as well mm-hmm. and you know she's really spent her life living in different places yep. and writing about home and place and seeing the world and you know on the other hand she has this very rooted place she has a ranch in Colorado and you know, I really know her as you know one of the great writers of the American West. Yes, I mean, I think she's a great writer in general. But when, when I think about her subject, it's about place, it's about landscape, but it's specifically about the American West. Mm-hmm. And even now, after all these years of really knowing her as a person, I have to remind myself: this is a woman from New Jersey.
0: Oh yeah, isn't That's that crazy? Weird? She's
1: not. You yeah. know, even when I just said that, I could yeah. tell you forgot. Yeah. Because she doesn't seem like that. And every once in a while, I'll see that little edge of her that's like, Okay, that's her, that's her New Jersey side. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she has a really interesting story to tell about her relationship to plays. Right. And and also the different ways that the, the, her both rootedness and wandering
0: mm-hmm. have
1: informed her relationships in her life. So uh, we're going to give her a call right now.
0: People know Pam Houston from the contents may have shifted her novel. They would know her certainly from Cowboys Are My Weakness, her amazing short story collection. But what we're most excited about, or I speak personally, is The Ranch a love story, which is a memoir that's going to come out in maybe next year. And we have heard excerpts from mm-hmm. it. And each time she reads from it, there is such a palpable sense of wonder and joy and excitement in the audience because she's speaking directly to this idea of what we're so many of us are searching for so deeply, which is a place that we belong. Let's give her a call. Let's do it.
1: Hello, Pam. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, I'm. I'm here with our pal Steve Almond. <laughs> Hi, Pam. Hi, Steve. Pam, we're so excited to get to talk to you. Not only I'm be- so
2: excited to talk to you.
1: Oh, thank you. I mean, not only because you're our dear friend and we adore you, but also we felt like I mean, you're just such a great person to talk about this subject of place and home and location. We have received a bunch of letters on this topic. And I know you've done a lot of writing about place and a lot of thinking and moving about it in your own life and moving around. Could you tell us, you know, about your trajectory when it comes to place and where you've made homes?
2: Well, I was born in New Jersey, in Trenton, New Jersey, which I've always thought of as the wrong place for me. (laughs) And as soon as I was in charge of my own life, which I would say would have been about the end of high school, I started moving west. I went to college in Ohio, which wasn't very far west, but it was on the way. And then after college, I moved to Colorado and and went to graduate school in Utah. But my big relationship with place came when um, my first book, Cowboys Are My Weakness, sold for just a little bit of money. But it was the first time I had a little bit of money. And my agent, when she sent me the check, there was a letter inside it that said, don't spend it all on hiking boots. (laughs) So I took that really seriously and went looking for a place to call home in the Rocky Mountains, which is the place that I had found in my travels that felt the most like home to me. And I found this ranch. It's at 9,000 feet in Colorado. I had exactly 5% down to pay for it. And for the last 25 years, it's been my home and it's been the thing that has made me what I am. It's the great love story of my life, Hmm. me and this 120 acres.
1: So you said that you knew from the start that Trenton, New Jersey wasn't home. And then when you went to Colorado, (laughs) you felt it was home, that you'd come home. Why do you think that you felt like Trenton, New Jersey wasn't home?
2: Well, to be fair to Trenton, New Jersey, which almost no one is, (laughs) um, (laughs) I, I, I had a very difficult upbringing. I was raised in a violent alcoholic home. You know, there's a lot of associations with that. But much more than than those reasons, it was just that when I got out west just the sky, you know, the the sky, I felt like I was under the right sky. I, Hmm. every time, even now, when I fly home, even just at the Denver airport, you know, which is not exactly the most beautiful spot in the West, just (laughs) getting out to my car in the Denver airport, I can feel my whole body relax. I mean, there's something really chemical and physical about Mm -hmm. it. Even though I love the other places I go, you know, I, I love the places I travel to teach and speak. And, but every time I come home, it's like, there's something about the quality of the light in the sky. There's something about the bigness of the sky. Um, it's really happens on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like every day here is a better day than any day anywhere else.
1: You know, it's interesting because before you got on the phone, when Steve and I each told our own stories about finding home, in my case, in Portland, or, or not having found home yet, in Steve's case, is we both talked about that, that thing you just mentioned, the f- the feeling in the body of like this is the place where I belong. This is where the air feels the best, or the and it could be Trenton, New Jersey. I mean, that's the cool right. thing is it's completely different. Yeah, it's a completely personal experience, right? Yep. And yeah, you, you either have it or you don't, and it is it is a cellular kind of communication.
0: That's right, but there are a number of people. I mean, the letters we get are essentially for people who are saying, "I don't have it in the body." and i've got to figure out sort of in my head and my heart should i be here or should i be there and people who which i think really is a much more common american experience i mean listening to you guys i'm getting these kind of like oh my god that sounds so beautiful but sure. i don't i don't have that feeling and i think a lot of the letters the reason you know we hear from people is because there is in this nomadic age such a hunger for it mm.
1: so let's get to a letter um, that that yeah. seems a little bit from some much younger version Of all of us. (laughs) Yes. Dear Sugars, I'm a 25-year-old little person. I feel it's important to mention this because it's a huge factor in understanding who I am. I'm a college graduate, and though I hope to go to law school, my LSAT score wasn't good enough to enter into the program I've been working towards for the past six years. I've accepted the fact that it's no longer possible to enter my dream profession. Now is the time to make a decision about what comes next. Two years ago, while on my first trip to Europe, which was a big deal considering my physical challenges, I met a man. It was all the romance movies come true. I fell in love with a kind, funny, beautiful Frenchman in Paris. Too good to be true, right? It took me a year of convincing to take a chance, return to Paris, and see if this love was real. It was. Now we have a long-distance relationship, flying back and forth every three months. He is deep within his career, but is willing to move wherever I settle down in my own career. I feel guilty and ashamed of my LSAT failure. I'm stuck, and he's waiting on me. My question now is, would it be stupid to move to Paris to regroup, refocus, and find a plan B? Or do I need to face this juncture alone, as I have done every other problem in my life? Am I simply, quote, running away from my problems by going to France? Sincerely, Paris or bust. (laughs) Can we all just laugh? (laughs) Is there any question, you guys, what this woman should do?
0: Well, I actually want to hear what Pam thinks. I mean, you know, it's it's actually a little bit more complicated than it seems. It's not complicated. All right, okay. It's not. Pam and I are good. All right, go ahead, (laughs) Pam. Level me.
2: It's not complicated to me. I mean, for my 25-year-old self, I'm already in Paris, you know. I I also wish... She weren't so hard on herself, you know, there's so many other things to do than be a lawyer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if she really wants to be a lawyer, she could be a lawyer, you know, if that's really her dream. But I was talking about the letter with my 26 year old house sitter. And, you know, I was saying, you know, when you're 25, you think if you decide to go to Paris, that alters the course of your life. But the way the world is now, when you're 25 and you can, she could go to Paris and, then she could go can salmon in Alaska. And then she could go study wild dogs in Botswana. And she could still come back and be a lawyer if she mm-hmm. wanted to. Mm-hmm. Well, no, absolutely. I mean, I think
1: everything you do alters the course of your life. But what old age, my I'm 48 now, has taught me is that, <laughs> that none of it's permanent. You know, right. that like, it's not like, you know, you move to Paris and then we never hear from you again and you don't become an attorney. If you want to become a lawyer, just study more and take the dang LSAT again you know, And I, I want to talk about this idea of running away from your problems. I have often traveled when I was at a juncture or when I was struggling. I mean, the reason I took my hike on the Pacific Crest Trail was because I needed to reset my life and find myself again and figure out where to go next. And I don't think of that as running away. I think of that as running too. And the wonderful thing, Paris or bus, that you're doing by opting to go Live in Paris and make love to this Frenchman, and <laughs> you know, got a whole do, scenario. You, you know, right. I, I mean, like, there's not even a I mean, to me, it's like, please go. I mean, I, I want to just like track you down and drive you to the airport um, because you absolutely should do this. You know, it's it's you're going to open yourself up to so many interesting things, and they will all be helpful. In, in telling you what to do next when it comes to your career and your life, you know, they will all be informative. You'll get to see if this relationship, you know, is something that you want to sustain over a long time or if you just are going to have, you know, a nice little romance. You get to see how it feels to um, be asking questions of yourself in a totally foreign place, which all three of us can speak to that, that that mm-hmm. is really one of the most illuminating circumstances of my life is yeah. when I'm out of my comfort zone yeah. and I have to find my way. Forward and Paris offers you this opportunity.
0: Yeah, I, 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 do agree with that. I think when I said that the, the question is a little bit more complicated than it seems, it's what we're always thinking about. We have this kind of myth in our heads, which is we should um, ground ourselves literally. We should find ourselves. We should figure out what the next plan is. And we're, as a species, and maybe as a culture, Americans in particular, pretty unsuited to the idea of heading somewhere without a plan of sorting through things and recognizing that you're a little bit lost for the moment, but in an interesting place with an interesting person. And the other thing that's interesting here is uh, and, and maybe more complicated is you're feeling disappointment. Paris or bus. That's what you feel. You're feeling down on yourself. And Pam's right. We can wish that you didn't feel that and you would let yourself off the hook. But that is how you're feeling. And it's tough to travel and also to take the risk of really sort of calling this relationship's bluff in a sense by, you know, heading over to Paris when you're not feeling kind of, str- you don't feel like you're going there from a, from a posture of strength and assurance, which I completely get. And I still think that you should Probably do that because I essentially did that at age, I guess I was about 30 after I would finished graduate school, had no idea where I was going to go, or what I was going to do, had no sellable skills, basically, and had a lover over in Poland and I went over there. And it's the relationship was complicated and kind of beautiful. I lived in this tiny apartment with their mom and it was sort of it was weird, basically, but (laughs) it was good weird. I mean, it was like I was out of my comfort zone. And the relation the point wasn't that the relationship worked or didn't work. It was that I put myself in a dangerous, uncertain place and sort of saw who I really was. It strips away some of the kind of superego parts of ourselves that want to sort of have a life plan. And it sounds like you had a very clear plan, which was as you were going to get into this program you had been working towards for six years. And so it's scary, basically, to then throw yourself into an adventure, and you have to be really self-forgiving. It's okay to be a little lost. If you're not lost at 25, something's wrong.
2: Well, I just think, you know, about young women. I, I work with so many young women in my life as a teacher, and... You know we're having kind of a plague of shame at the moment in this culture but gosh you know don't be ashamed paris or bust you know you didn't do well on a test you know on, on a standardized test like that has nothing to do with who you are or why the man in paris loves you or what you might find out about yourself as steve says when you get over there you might find beautiful things about yourself that you don't even know right now i mean one thing about being 50 is you think about all that shame you carried around yeah. and all the ways you felt bad about yourself for all those years and you know something happens hormonally or otherwise and you think wow that was a lot of time I spent and yeah. and you have you have a dream in front of you i mean like you said every you know everybody's dream is to fall in love in paris you know so i would just say try to be easy on yourself and love yourself and give yourself this adventure and know that if If law school is what you want, you're going to find your way back to it.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: That's right.
1: All right, so good luck, Paris or bust. I'm just going to call you Paris because that's where (laughs) you're going. That's right. And and (laughs) Cheryl, by
0: the way, if uh, for whatever reason the taxi services aren't running in your home city, once she's gotten my family tucked in underneath the ping pong table, Cheryl will be by. You can just call (laughs) her up. Just give me a call. I'll come
1: pick you up. I will take you to the airport. Okay, we have another letter. And Pam, will you stay on the line and and help us answer it? Of course.
0: Okay. Dear Sugars, I'm a 36-year-old woman with a wonderful one-year-old baby and a loving partner that I've been together with for almost a decade. We're very happy, but the question of where we live is a source of constant anxiety and stress, and I don't know what to do about it. First, the background. We met in a beautiful smaller city and fell in love there, both working in the same artistic field, When I was accepted to a prestigious graduate program in the big city, we were both thrilled. We thought moving to the big city would be great for both of us. I'd attend graduate school and he'd pursue larger scale projects. The way it turned out was that the graduate school part was wonderful for me and the working part was terrible for him. He never got the momentum he needed and his depression, which he'd previously managed, spiraled out of control. Our relationship almost ended, but we were able to write the course once he was on medication, and we started talking much more openly to each other about our feelings and desires. After I finished school, I had an opportunity in the big other city, which was on the other side of the country. He was ready to leave the city where we'd been living. I was less sure. I liked where we were living, but I agreed to move because I could see that was what he wanted. Plus, the opportunity for me in this other big city was hard to turn down. Six months after we moved to the other big city, we were surprised to learn that I was pregnant. My post-graduation plans were put on hold as I scaled back to working my intense full-time job and taking care of my body. Meanwhile, his work did not develop any more in this city than it had in the last. It was the same string of small jobs and dead ends, but he was thrilled about my pregnancy. He said he thought the baby would give him the purpose in life he'd been needing. His depression dramatically improved, as did our relationship. We decided that since I had a stable income, I would return to work full-time after the baby was born while he took care of the baby. This has worked out well. My partner is a wonderful father to our son. Our major issue is that my partner pines to return to the smaller city. He is very isolated as a stay-at-home dad and believes the smaller city is where we would be happiest. There we'd be surrounded by friends that are more like family. Both of our families are great, but they live in places that don't provide good options for my line of work. He thinks the smaller city is our true home and that I could find work there, and so could he. Now that our baby is becoming a toddler, my partner is ready to start working a job again. The idea of moving back to the smaller city puts me into a spiral of anxiety, stress over money, over a job, over everything. It feels like the same promises we have told ourselves with every move, only this time it all feels bigger and heavier because of our child. With each move his job prospects have not worked out, I have become the sole breadwinner of our family If I'm being totally honest, I don't believe him when he says he would be able to start working once we were back in the smaller city, and then once again all the money pressure would be on me. I'm also fearful about a return of his depression, as he has an excellent therapist here and is doing very well. But I understand when he says that he just does not belong where we are, and it does not feel like home. I agree with him that the smaller city is where my heart is, but I'm not convinced that is enough. I'm getting promoted at work and I feel like I'm finally starting to get enough sleep that I could start my creative work on the side again. We are both so badly wanting a home for our family. But where is that? What do we do? Where do we go? Do we stay somewhere that doesn't feel like home but is better for my job and possibly my creative dreams? Or do we go where we feel the most love and let the rest of it fall how it will, signed, Lost in La La Land?
1: Hmm. Tough one. It is. You know, it's hard because what we've talked about so far is really as individuals. You know, I felt that sense of home or I don't feel that mm-hmm. sense of home. And it, of course, gets very complicated when, you're, when your life wagon is hitched to somebody else and, it, and you have to negotiate those questions. I'm lucky Brian also feels like Portland is home. You mm-hmm. know, we, we are in perfect agreement about this. What about you and Aaron, Steve? Do you, has this come up um, as, as a source of conflict in your own marriage?
0: I think it does, but unlike in this situation, Lost in La La Land, you've got it tricky because your partner feels pretty clear in wanting a move and you feel much less clear. And this is actually the repetition of a pattern that's come up a few times. For Aaron and I, I think in a sense, we're both such jellyfish. We're both so confused. We both know that this, we like where we are, but we don't sit there and, uh, you know, look at the sky as Pam does and say, yes, my body gets, I'm (laughs) home, I'm on the ancestral land. Um, and, And in a sense, I don't even know that that's what, lost in La La Land, what you're seeking. I mean, as I read the letter, and I'm interested to hear your guys' perspectives, this is really much more about a relationship than where the locale is going to be. That's the the, uh, sort of the instigation for this letter. But I'm much more kind of troubled by the dynamics within their relationship. What do you think, Pam?
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I have kind of two things to say, and and one is just from my own experience. Um, my partner, Greg Glazner, lives most of the time in California where I teach part of the time. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people in my situation might have just moved to California. That's where my job is, and that's where my partner is. Right, right. <laughs> and And yet, you know, I know myself enough to know that this ranch is – Is my home, and to leave it would be—I would spend all my time resenting both my job and and my partner if I did. And so, you know, we we make the best of it. We see each other um, for. 10 weeks a year for sure when I'm out there and then also summers and we travel and try to make fun of the long distance and, Hmm. um, it, it works out. Okay. You know, it's, it's kind of the best compromise that, that we have found. Um, I like it better this way than he does. I'm an only child and I like my alone time, but I feel like the relationship is, is really what's at issue in this letter If the letter is given a close reading, (laughs) um, that maybe it's not so much about place, but it's about a dynamic where the woman has become the breadwinner and yet keeps acquiescing to her partner's desires in terms of, you know, his dissatisfaction with his life. And that's something I see a lot of among my women friends currently.
1: Yeah, I guess I feel like I don't know that she's acquiesced. I mean, he's moved with her. Uh, you know, the the two moves that he's made have been always in connection with her opportunities to graduate school and then this job. But then it, the price for that acquiescence is that then she has to support him, it sounds like, and, and even when she was a graduate student in every way, which is complicated. You know, I think that I agree with, with Pam and Steve that this is a relationship uh, question. But sometimes the conflicts we have, like they can actually serve as the way in right. to talking about those deeper things. That's right. And Lost in La La Land, one thing I would do if I were you, and th- if you're a long-time listener of the show or if you've read my column, you know I'm, there is nobody who's a bigger fan of making <laughs> list lists maker, than yes. me. So I know, Steve's like rolling his eyes. It's, it, it, the, way I, the way I roll my eyes when he says uh, late-stage Look, capitalism, that's right. Yeah. He, he rolls his eyes when I say list. But trust me, this is the key to life. Get a big piece of butcher paper. A couple of markers, okay? And, you know, the first list would be all of the things we agree on, which is a wonderful way to kind of forge that sense of connection. And what's cool here, Lost in La La Land, is you do both agree that the smaller city is the place where you feel the love, as you said. You feel the most love. That's a pretty compelling thing. Now, it sounds to me the reasons you don't want to live there are all then going to be about your relationship. You don't trust ultimately that your partner is gonna be a full partner to you when it comes to finances and and and, and emotional stability because of his struggles with depression. Mm-hmm. And I think that making a list about what are each of your fears if you stay in the big city and what are each of your fears if you move to the smaller city. Mm-hmm. And when you put those items on the list, try to be as neutral as possible. Try to be coming from your own perspective and and not, you know, putting your own feelings on on the other partner. And then see what's there and talk about it. You might find that when we have conflict about something, there's just this whole like pot of feelings inside and they're rolling around together. But a list allows you to actually take it out of your body and see it very clearly. It's literally on a big piece of paper on the wall, and you can see. Oh, the reason I'm afraid of this is because of that. Now let's right. talk about that. Right. And will this fear be eliminated if if we can change this one thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that that's really this is really a relationship question.
0: Well, one cautionary note underneath the question of whether to make this move or not is a question about the respect and esteem that you have for your partner and the power dynamic within the relationship. And the place where you felt the most in harmony, if you return to the beginning of the letter, was when you fell in love in that beautiful smaller city, both working in the same artistic field. And it might be that embedded within the desire to return to this place is a desire to return to that kind of prelapsarian, you know, before the fall version of the relationship, because what's happened since then is that you've done quite well for yourself to be completely honest and your husband has struggled and i think in addition to making this list of, of you know virtues and drawbacks one of the tough things that's going to be really hard to commit to paper or even say out loud is I'm disappointed that it has been a struggle for you to be happy, and I understand that you clearly get that the depression is something that needs to be managed, and the fact that he has a good therapist in this city that you're living in right now is no small thing. Because I can tell you this, and I'm sure as much as as both Cheryl and, and Pam are tough and world travelers, it's very destabilizing to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the second most stressful thing to us after the death of a, of a loved one, and Whatever tensions exist within the relationships are going to be exacerbated by a move, especially if you haven't discussed the underlying reasons that he wants to make this move and that you're feeling ambivalent about it, which is it's not that this, not a problem with the city. It's that within the relationship, it feels like things are... Um, I don't want to say they're not solid, but they're, you have some real legitimate disappointments and, and worries about his capacity to um, manage his mental health and also to contribute to the marriage and, and family in the ways that you want him to. And that's a very tough conversation to have, but I wouldn't I wouldn't move to a new city until you've had it.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to, I just, I agree with you, Steve, I, but I don't want to diminish. I mean, he's been a pretty great partner in terms of he's been there taking care of the baby full time and that's no small thing so just because he hasn't you know and I want to just tell you that Lost in La La Land you you probably already realize this but you know just because he hasn't been the breadwinner um, he has taken care of a baby and it would have cost a whole lot of money yeah. to have uh, to pay someone to do that. Well, so, yeah. I mean, there are ways that he's financially contributed to your family life that aren't measured um, by, yeah. you know, receiving a check every
0: couple of weeks. The other thing that's so powerful in this letter that I really responded to is Aaron and I struggle all the time with this feeling that we're on an island. And this is partly the anxiety lost in La La Land that you're expressing. You don't have family around. And this is where, really, if we yeah. trace it back, that sense of home, where does it come from? Well, it partly comes from feeling that you belong in your family. And that's where home is, is where your family's around, your uncles and aunts and parents and cousins and, and nieces and nephews. And as Unless we, you're me
1: and Pam, and then right. you have to get the house. <laughs> well, that's far away from those
0: people. <laughs> but that's, and that's to the point here, is that that's a dramatic version of you guys needing to say, no, I need to find that solid base. I need to find an emotional and a physical geography where I feel at home. And I think that's worth bearing in mind that you guys are in a tough circumstance. It's hard to have a little baby. It's hard to try to do creative work and artistic work and to somehow support a family. And to do that without having those traditional sort of the pillars, which is having supportive family around. And that's just tough
1: and it takes a while when you move to a new place to love it. I think Pam's experience that she described as as soon as she arrived, you know, on the ranch, she was felt like this deep sense of this is home. I have to say as passionately as I said that that I feel this way about Portland now, I didn't feel it for the first few years. Mm-hmm. When I first moved to Portland, I didn't know if I was going to stay or go. I fell in love with Brian. He lived and had lived in Portland as a Portland native. And I remember distinctly in the first couple of years of our relationship that this was a little bit of a struggle because I was saying, well, why why am I here? You know, I don't really have many friends here. I mean, I had a bunch of acquaintances and new friends, but they weren't the same as those old, deep friends I had mm-hmm. in other cities. And I felt a little bit like I there was no real reason to be here. And after some time, that shifted and what what shifted about that is it started to become home. I started to have those relationships that were acquaintances at first became dear friends. I started to have a sense of like my place in this community and this physical the physical place of this space of this city. And you know, I think that it sounds like you've not lived all that long in this other big city. Yeah. Certainly giving it a little time as Pam suggests, letting the question ride, you know, a year or two. Maybe maybe that's the contract to make. Yeah. You know, Almost always, I'd say, we give this advice and it's not like, you know, you can go and then like make that decision. And that's that's what's done. Unless, of course, it's to get on an airplane to Paris, in which that's just, just, just two, to it. Is, but, but, you know, this is a more complicated question. And it's, a, it's actually probably going to be an extended conversation. But it's, you know, the, the best thing you can do is to have that conversation, to do that deep work of like making the list and identifying how each of you feels and talking about the underlying issues and, t- and being honest with each other, yeah. but being loving with each other.
0: And maybe, maybe with that excellent therapist somehow involved. Yeah. If he's somebody who's, or she, he or she is, you know, trusted. We wish you luck. Absolutely.
1: Pam, thank you so much for joining us. We, we knew we'd love
2: talking to you because we love talking to you in real life too,
1: but it's fun to do it on Dear Sugar Radio. <laughs> Well,
2: it was my great pleasure to be invited. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show.
0: Take care, Pam. Safe travels.
2: Okay, bye bye. I
1: love her.
0: I love. I'm telling you, you know, we both heard her read from "The Ranch: A Love Story," and yeah. I think for the very reason that our inbox is filled with people who are, in one way or another, struggling to find a sense of place, some place that they really feel is homeland. Um, people are really going to respond to that.
1: Yeah, but on the way to knowing what location, location, location you should be in, you know, there's usually a bunch of feeling dislocated. Yeah. And um, that that sense of being lost, as you said so eloquently, really does help us figure out how to find and make a home.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, I need to tell you that our home, uh, beloved home, at least our spiritual home, uh, Dear Sugar Radio, is produced by WBUR in Boston. Now, of course, we are in Portland, Oregon. Uh, We're recording at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon. Josh Millman is our wonderful engineer here. But we are produced and edited by Amory Sievertson. She is back in Boston. Our theme music, confusingly, is by the Portland band Wonderly. The vocals are by Liz Weiss. And wherever you are, this is really not dependent on your location at all. You could be underneath a ping-pong table graciously offered by a magnificent friend. You should, by all means, subscribe to Dear Sugar Radio on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dear Sugar Radio.
1: And send us your letters, Radio at gmail.com.